Before we get started, I want to just uh, say something about last week's message. You remember it was on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and Susanna and I sat up here and talked about married couples. Huge topic, lots to be said, no way to cover it all in one sermon, right? Not even any way to cover it all in one passage. And our purpose was not to do that. It was to exposit 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We feel like we did that to the best of our ability but some of you have had questions this week, and I want to answer one particular question, and that is about the gentle and quiet spirit of a woman who's beautiful in the heart, as Peter says, right? Interior beauty is what a Christian woman and a Christian man should focus on. But that is not quietness of personality. So we're not talking about God-only loving introverts, right? Some of you ladies are not lambs, you're lions. And the Lord has made you that way. And you may have a bigger voice than your husband. But you can still be what God has made you and have peacefulness in heart. So I think what Peter's talking about is a quiet spirit. A spirit that's not stormy, that's not striving, that's not yelling to be heard and noticed. Right? It's a person who is okay before the Lord, but who at times is prophetic, who at times proclaims loudly the word of the Lord. I think we had a perfect example of that with Pastor Bill and Mary. Mary was an extrovert, loved being with people, had lots to say. But as far as I could see, was always submitted under the authority of her husband, who was Pastor Bill, the classic introvert. Very loving, very good at being with people, but loved being by himself as well. And so we we can fulfill the teaching of the scripture and still be fully who God has made us. So ladies, don't feel like Susanna and I wanted all of you to be introverts or be quiet in mouth. That's not the point. The point is a quiet heart, a beautiful spirit before the Lord because of what Jesus has done in your lives. And let's keep conversing about those things and working them out together in community according to the scripture. Today we're looking at 1 Peter 3, uh, 8 through 17. You can open your Bible to that uh, passage. I hope you have somewhere to take notes because the Lord is speaking to us as a community from 1 Peter, uh, as elect exiles marching together to the new heaven and the new earth. And he's certainly going to do that this morning if you are listening to him. Charles was an only child of a hard-working couple in New England, United States. His parents had gone through the Great, Great Depression. He had seen some of that himself as a young boy. And so that motivated Charles to be successful, to have a good life, to be happy, to have influence, to have money. He studied hard and did well. He was the only one in anybody's memory to turn down a scholarship to Harvard University and decided to go to Brown University instead became an officer in the U.S. Marines, then went to law school where he met people involved in politics and quickly became involved in United States federal politics to the point where he became special counsel to the president with his own office in the White House in Washington, D.C. He'd made it. But he would say later that his heart was empty. It didn't hold the excitement that he had expected to find when he got to the top of the heap. 
who's known as the hatchet man, once said that he would walk over his own grandmother to get the president reelected. And he got embroiled in the largest scandal or the most well-known scandal in American history called Watergate. Of course, I'm talking about Charles Colson, better known as Chuck Colson, who ended up in jail from an office in the White House to a jail cell. And he's written a book called The Good Life. And in it, this is what he says. We have come to see money as the key to pleasure and pleasure as the key to happiness. This definition of happiness has become the summum bonum, the ultimate American virtue. As one writer put it, if you're not chasing money, what are you chasing? Happiness is the new bottom line. This belief is so much a part of American culture that even people who should know better get confused. According to a recent study, over half of evangelical Christians agree with this following statement. The purpose of life is enjoyment and personal fulfillment. The good life. What is it? I'd be willing to bet that every single one of us are here in church to find it. But we all have a little bit of a different idea of what that good life is. Charles Colson chased it to the very top of the heap, and it wasn't there. Let's read 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. And I'm going to read it twice, once in the NIV, which we've already heard, and then to compare in the ESV as well, and you can watch your own translation to see how it compares. This is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They, may, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's read it one more time in the ESV since it's only five verses. So follow along and see how the ESV translates some of these Greek words in a different way. You know that we believe that Scripture is inerrant in the original language. So English and Portuguese translations have different ways of expressing the Greek, uh, which in the original was inspired by God and inerrant. This is what it says in ESV, English Standard Version. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. May the Lord speak to each of us through these, his living and active words. 
So Peter starts this section with finally all of you. We've been going through section by section, starting with that passage that said, submit to the emperor and all of his governors out of reverence for Christ. Then he went to the very bottom of the totem pole and talked to slaves and house servants, said, servants, submit to your masters, not only when they're good and kind, but also to the harsh and unfair, because you're called to follow in Christ's footsteps. We talked about our mission as exiles of the Lord, following Jesus through this foreign land of the world, being to submit, to suffer the consequences, silently, quietly, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, and commit our way to the one who judges fairly. Last week we started chapter 3, which continued that theme of submission into marriage. Wives are to submit to their husbands as the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And each of us find our way to order ourselves. We are equal. We're not less if we're a woman. But there's an order in Scripture that reveals God's way, God's will. Um, women or men are to live with understanding, live listening to their wives so that Christ can be known. And now Paul says, finally, all of you, meaning all of you who follow Jesus. If you're here this morning thinking that you're going to hear a good motivational talk that will help you be a better person, you've deceived yourself. This is not about growing and being a better person. This is about becoming more like Jesus. And when he says all of you, he's talking to elect exiles. He's talking to people who have turned around from following themselves and following the world and are now following Jesus in the contramont. You're going against the flow of your own desires, of the devil's temptations, and of the world around you, and that's why you feel such opposition. I hope that's all of you this morning. He says four things that define the good life. He says the good life is a connected life in Christ. The good life is a counterintuitive life in grace. The good life is a called life in blessing, and the good life is a self-controlled life in holiness. You can write those four numbers down and we'll work through them one by one. First of all, a connected life in Christ. I know that in my own search for holiness, personal holiness, I have often been tempted to isolate myself from the rest of you because by myself, I think I can just be clean. But you annoy me. You bring impatience out of me. I say things when I'm with you that I wouldn't say if I was by myself. And so it's tempting to say, I'll just be holy by myself. The Word of God teaches us that you cannot be holy without love. And this is one of those passages. We are connected by becoming like-minded. The Bible teaches us that Christians have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean that everything I think is what Jesus thinks. It means that together we adjust what we think so that it agrees with Scripture and agrees with each other. And so you correct my thinking. I hopefully correct your thinking so that as we walk in step with each other, Romans says, live in harmony with each other. I think some translations even say, agree with each other. We come into a new understanding of who Jesus is and how he's different from me as an individual. This is very difficult because we feel strongly. We think we know. 
We think that if everyone thought like I think, the problems would be over. And we have to open our hands to that. I like what the ESV says, that have unity of mind. Our purpose is to be united in mind. Now, it has to be said that there are lines to that. There are definitions that you shouldn't change your mind about moral good and evil. There are places where unity is set aside for the sake of being biblically true and right. But I am of the opinion that those are pretty minimal compared to all the opinions I have. Most of them should be held with an open hand so that I can listen to you and understand your perspective and live with understanding of you too. We are to be connected in Christ. That's verse 8. We're to be sympathetic. Have sympathy. What does this mean? It means that you work to feel what another is feeling. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Suffer with those who suffer. Get out of yourself a little bit and try to understand the other perspective. This is what Peter has just said to, to us uh, husbands. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Seek to understand why she does what she does and thinks what she thinks. It takes uh, work, it takes connection, it takes commitment in the Spirit for me to be sympathetic with you as a fellow member of Christ. And then Peter says, love one another. The ESV, I believe, says brotherly love. We are to love each other, not as we love ourselves, but as Christ loved the church. Remember, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's new because he had just said that the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. This is a new, a new way of loving. It's a self-sacrificial way of loving. It's laying down your rights and your life so that you can love another person. That's what some of you did yesterday with those kids out in Villa Missionaria. Gave up your Saturday afternoon. Gave up your security by going into a dangerous neighborhood because they lived there. You loved them. You had sympathy for them outside of your own preferences and rights and desires. Then it says be compassionate. ESV says tender-hearted. This has to do with action. This has to do with doing something with what you know about each other. Compassion is not passive. Uh, literally, it means to suffer with someone but it's suffering with them through bearing the consequences of that difficult situation. Compassion gets out of its status quo, gets out of its home, and goes and serves and cares in an active way. And then finally, be humble, or I like a lot what ESV says, a humble mind. Have a humble mind. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Consider other people as better than yourself, as more important than yourself. Arrive to serve and not to be served. Arrive to listen and not just to preach. You see how all of these commands have to do with living in community. The good life is a life that's connected in Christ. Not just with anyone. But in the exchanged life of a believer where Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you, part of my purpose for living is to make Christ connected. The Bible says his purpose in the end is that all things might converge in Christ. The unity of Jesus is what I should be zealous to find 
It's not more important for you to defend a political candidate than for you to defend the unity of Christ. There are brothers and sisters on both sides of most of these lines that we argue about. And that's good. And the arguments often are very constructive and positive, but they're also often destructive. And they divide more than they unite. Let's be careful to see the good life as a connected life in Christ, to see holiness as a, a life of community. I was jogging this week around the little neighborhood near our house over where Delton lives, and I passed this beat-up old pickup truck. Windows were open. It was old, beat-up, messy-looking. And there's two guys sitting in there smoking marijuana. I could smell it as I jogged by. And I just got a chuckle thinking, here's these two guys. It was early in the morning. I think they'd spent most of the night in there. That's their definition of the good life, right? Hey, we're doing whatever we want. No constraints. And I'm just thinking, what a small vision of the good life, right? If only you had a family to take care of, like I do, to get up and have breakfast together. If only you would give up what you want a little bit, your life could be so much better than sitting in a beat-up pickup truck on a rainy morning smoking pot. <laughs> What's your definition of the good life? I hope it has to do with your relationship with other people, especially the people of God. But the second thing Peter says is that the good life is a counterintuitive life in grace. This comes from verse 9, where he says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, see, it's counterintuitive. On the contrary, against what your natural bent is, repay evil with blessing. Because to this, to bless, you were called so that you might inherit or receive a blessing. Grace is that which gives good when it's not deserved. We should be people who seek offenses to forgive in Christ because we live a counterintuitive life. Do not repay insult with insult. Do not repay evil with evil. On the contrary, in the contramont, repay evil with blessing. So I've driven motorcycles since I was a teenager. Uh, in fact, when I was 16, my brother and I and mom and dad drove all the way from the country of Colombia through the Andes Mountains for a whole week, six days, to Quito, Ecuador. And then we turned around and drove all the way back. Amazing. Amazing trip, amazing views, uh, just truly, truly wonderful. In fact, my dad taught me that when you drive a car, it's like watching television. If you're driving a motorcycle, you're really living. Because if it rains, you get wet. But I wanted to, to, to use an example of motorcycle driving for this idea of counterintuitive living. So you see this guy on a curve. That's very much like some of the roads that we drove. Probably not, had more potholes in it. But when you go around a curve at speed, now I'm not talking about going slowly. When you're driving slowly, it's like a bicycle. You just steer. But at speed on a motorcycle, there's something called counter-steering. So ride with me for a minute. You're sitting on the back, right? Here we go through the Andes Mountains. We're going to go right. See the right? Which way do you push the steering? You push it this way. Why? Because that motorcycle will lean over. Not too much, right? It's just a little bit of pressure. But as soon as that front wheel turns a little bit left, the bike leans immediately. 
and you go zooming right around that corner. And then the next corner to the left, and you push the steering to the right, and the, the bike comes up and over to the right. And you can just do this with pushing the opposite way as you think. It's totally counterintuitive. My friends, that's how we live. The blessing of Jesus. When someone insults you on Facebook, your natural response is to think of the best fiery insult back because all your friends are watching. Right? Those who walk in the contramain with Jesus think about how they can bless in front of all that person's friends. How they can say, wow, that was really a good point. How did you get to be so smart? I'm going to pray for you that you'll be elected into office and can make some wise decisions. I don't know. Think of a way to bless them. We bless in the name of Jesus. We forgive when they don't deserve to be forgiven because we are the people who are called following Abraham who said, to whom God said, your descendants will be a blessing to every family on the earth. Go and be a blessing. Be blessed for the purpose of being a blessing. And Peter says, and you will receive a blessing too. You'll, be, you'll inherit the blessing of living together in heaven with these precious people that you are blessing. The good life is a life lived against our intuition, the counterintuitive life. We just sang, oh, the wonderful cross. What in the world do people think of us? Why is the cross wonderful? It's wonderful because it bids me come and die and find that I might truly live beyond the cross, beyond the grave, in the resurrection of Jesus. It's going right into your own death so that in Christ you can live, not yourself, but his life. Romans 12 says it this way, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As I was meditating on this this week, Naaman's servant came to mind. Do you remember the story of Naaman the leper? general of Syria, enemy of Israel, who conquered Israel, killed many people, captured those they didn't kill, and took them off as slaves, one of them being a little girl that served Naaman's wife at his house. Now, this little girl probably saw her parents killed by the army of Naaman. Now she's a servant in his house. How is she going to respond? Naaman has leprosy. This little girl is sympathetic and compassionate for her, her, her master's husband and says if he would only go to Israel and talk to Elisha, he could be healed. Serves him. Does good, returns blessing because she's part of God's blessing people. Are you part of that people? Or are you just going along with the crowd, flipping back fiery insults in return? There's a third thing. The good life is a called life. It's a called life. Now, I believe this comes first of all these four, but in the scripture it came third. So I've put it third now, but in the application we'll start with this. Responding to the call of God is the beginning of the good life. 
See, what I didn't tell you about Charles Colson is that in the middle of the trial of Watergate, somebody came to him and said, have you read this book and gave him Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? And he read about the sin of pride. See, he was self-righteous. He thought he was better than other people. He'd kept himself from doing most bad things. But when he read about pride, he said, that's me. I think I'm God. And he repented. And God gave him free salvation in Christ. He became a new creature, gave up his life. And his lawyer said in the trial, if you will just be quiet, you can plead the Fifth Amendment, you have the right to remain silent, and you will not go to jail with the rest of them. But he realized that he was now following the suffering servant, and he could not serve Jesus if he lied, or even if he did not tell the truth. And so he stood up in jail and he said, let me tell you, I'm pleading guilty and this is what I did. And he confessed to trying to smear another person from the other party publicly. And he was given a one to three year jail sentence because of that. Last night I was researching this on the internet a little bit and there's a, a video of him standing on the courthouse steps after he's been convicted and sentenced to jail. And he says, I belong to the Lord Jesus, and I can serve him in jail or out of jail, but I can't serve him if I lie. And he went to jail. That's what it means to be called and respond, to say, yes, Lord, I belong to you. I hope you've done that. You'll have a chance to do it today at the end of the service if you haven't. Peter says to this You have been called. To what? To return blessing on insult. You are called. I am called to be like Jesus and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To be like Abraham and go through all the world saying, I've been blessed by God's grace and I freely give what I have freely received. That's our calling to bless every person God brings before us with love with goodness in response to evil, to insult, to, to uh, uh, all kinds of suffering so that Jesus can be known through us. We are called to bless. We are co-heirs with him and with each other in Abraham's stead. Dr. Tim Keller says it better than I can, so I'll quote him. He says, God by nature is a calling God. Mission is not for the well-rested or the elite. It's not for people with time on their hands. It's not for people with money or without money. It's not for people with education. God's mission is for anybody who says, I belong to God, because God is by nature a calling and ascending God. Peter's talked about this all the way through his his, his first letter. We've talked about it as we've gone through. 1 Peter 1.15 As he who called you is holy, be holy. Jesus calls us out. Calls us out from the world to be holy. 1 Peter 2.9 The excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's salvation. You're called out of the darkness of your own soul, of the darkness of your sin and the darkness of the world to walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 Peter 2.21 To this you were called to follow in Christ's steps in quiet, unjust suffering. You've been called to follow Jesus, to suffer unjustly. And then the end of the the book, he will say, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We are called to live with God on the new earth and the new heaven. Have you heard and responded to his call? For the first time and then for every step beyond that. We are the called out ones. Called to a life of blessing. But then finally, the good life is a self-controlled life in holiness. Self-controlled life in holiness. Peter says, keep your tongue from evil. You want to have many good days? You want to see a long life? Keep your tongue from evil. Your tongue does not lead you. You don't have to say all the stupid stuff that comes into your head. Took me a while to learn that because I have the gift of gab and before I know what I think, my mouth is already saying it. Zip your lip. Don't say it. Keep your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. What is deceitful speech? Pintando para o inglês ver. Right? That's how we say it in Brazil. Make yourself look good or guess what? Make the other political party look really bad. That's deceitful speech. It's adjusting things so that you get your way. And so often we justify the means by the good end that we think we're getting to. But by the time we get there, we've lost our holiness. We've lost our connection with Christ and his people because of things that we've said. Keep your lips in line. Be self-controlled. Where does this come from? It's a fruit of the Spirit. You cannot control yourself by yourself. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside your body as his temple, you will not have self-control. You'll like to think you do. You'll be able to convince me that you do. Self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. Ask him for it. Grow in the Spirit. Leave yourself behind and say, Lord, I want to be more like you and less like me every day. Self-controlled life is the good life. Turn from evil and do good. Ephesians 4 is all about this. You who robbed, work so you can give. Don't rob, give. See, turn from evil, do good. You who uh, lied, don't tell lies. Speak the truth to one another in love and grow up into him who is the head. Turn away from those things that your eye is worshiping. Control your urges. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, you have to pursue peace sometimes. You have to run, run after people who just want to leave you and be by themselves. You have to go after them and say, hey, I hurt you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Let's, let's talk this out. Pursue peace. Be a peacemaker in the Lord Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. Friendship with the world is enmity toward God, James 4 says. And Peter quotes Psalm 34 saying, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his face is against those who do evil. If you don't do these things, if you don't control yourself and your sinful urges, the Lord's face will be against you. His ear will be stopped to your prayers. Not that you deserve it, but you lose connection with the Holy Spirit. You lose harmony and relationship as you don't turn away from sin. 
How can we interpret these thoughts? The good life is a connected life in Christ, a counterintuitive life in grace, a called life in blessing, we're called to bless, and a self-controlled life in holiness. God's favorite word, someone said, is come. Jesus calls us all the time. Day calls out to day. Grace is seen in everything He has made, and especially through what He has said. He calls the lost to be saved. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus in your heart, in the world, wherever you are. Bend the knee before him. He calls to children to sit on his lap and receive a blessing. He calls the thirsty to come to him and drink from the fountain of living water that is his spirit, pouring out for anyone who gives their life to Him. He calls for sinners to be forgiven and for disciples to follow Him into the world and be like Him. Jesus calls us. Are you saying yes every step of the way? Dorothy Sayers says the sin of our times is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. That's the sin of our time too. Dorothy Sayers lived almost 200 years ago. Apathy, depression, numbness. My friend, turn to Jesus hear his call and he will be born in your soul with a living water that will give you energy and love finally application what should we do about this how should we live because we have been here would you respond the Lord's calling you he's calling you to stop saying things that you've been saying he's calling you to stop looking at things you've been looking at Maybe he's calling you to give up your life, to finally surrender and say, Lord, I can't be self-controlled. I need you in me. Maybe he's calling you to salvation this morning. Guess what? All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I repent. I come just as I am. He's calling us to connect through Christ. Love. What if Calvary were really a place of love? A place where people didn't forget those who aren't here. A place where people called each other when the Holy Spirit reminded them. The Holy Spirit may be reminding you of someone and you were supposed to call them or send them a note this week and you haven't done it. Connect. Connect. Have sympathy and compassion for one another. Love each other as Jesus loves us. Leaving his home and coming all the way to us and knocking on our door. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. Holiness is loving. And finally, live in the contramont. Live counterintuitively. Take up your cross. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, deny yourself. That's say no to your gut. Say no to your desires. Say no to the world around you. And say, no, I am going to bless where someone has cursed me. I am going to love my enemies. I'm going to give and not just seek to get. Charles Colson found the good life in jail. He found out that he could love African-American car thieves as himself. He found out that Jesus loved them 
and loved him through them in ways that he had never experienced in his life. And his heart was filled in jail with the abundant life that Jesus had died to pay for him. In seven months, he got out. And then he went back in and started Prison Fellowship Ministries, a worldwide mission to prisoners that he served for the 35 years that remained to him until he died in 2012. And his daughter said on a video that I watched last night, my dad's heart was empty when he had everything. But when he went to jail with Jesus, it filled up. And he had the good life that he had always sought through money and pleasure and power and education, and it never satisfied him. But he died a satisfied man because he had Jesus. You can read about it in Born Again. He wrote Born Again about his conversion, and then he wrote The Good Life. It says much of what I'm saying this morning. What's your definition of the good life? Are you ready? I hope so. Let's pray together as we finish. Before I pray, make sure you've heard the call of God on your life. The Lord's spoken this morning through His Word, through His Spirit. What has He asked you to do? If you're here and you've never exchanged your old, damned life with Jesus, I want to challenge you to do that right now. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal judgment because of your holy standard take my life as messed up as it is and give me your life your new abundant eternal life I receive you just say yes to him repent and turn from your sin and he will save you father touch each one give us grace to hear and obey your call we have strong desires. We think we know. But we want to live counterintuitively and bless where he, we have been cursed. Teach us to be compassionate with one another and with everyone you bring across our path so that we might live the calling in you of blessing every creature on the earth until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.